0: You know, as I was as I was looking at the scripture for today, and it's only two verses, okay? And I'm looking at it and I'm, I say, well, that's not right. I don't like that. Well, once again, we have a small translation problem between various versions, including the ESV, which is not quite clear on what we're doing. But um, I just say that as a short opening, you know, as you folks know, Aaron and... Lauren and I got back for the January 7th um, Lord's Day uh, after being back in North Carolina and Virginia once again. It was our my 24th cross-country trip in the last 12 years. And Aaron says, no, it's only 12. And I say, cross-country means California to the East Coast. That's one. The East Coast to California. That's two. Come on, it's a cross-country trip. Aaron thinks that that's cheating. As I say, we have now made 24 cross-country trips, and we don't travel on a whim. Now, it's not the best planned out thing you've ever seen in the world. When Robin went back uh, with the U-Haul trailer, I believe that you already had your motels you were staying at. We, uh, on the other hand... (coughs) As the sun is going down and approaching some kind of town, say, we better get a hotel here quick. Uh, this last trip, which I haven't shared with you, we got to the town of Van Horn in, um, in uh, Texas. And, and uh, from El Paso, we'd been trying to get through to hotels in Van Horn, and nobody was answering. We could not get to, Well, so we show up and we say, well, you know, there's a lot of hotels in Van Horn. We'll just stop it. They were all booked. There was not a room in Van Horn to be had. Um, we do not know the reason, but as it's right on the border, we suspect that uh, visitors from Mexico are booking the rooms through our government. We don't know that for sure, but we suspect. So we had to drive another hour and 20 minutes now. We'd already been on the road for 12 hours. We had to drive another hour plus, hour, 15, hour and a half, uh, to get to the lovely town of Pecos, which is a lovely town, Pecos. I, I really love West Texas. That's neither here nor there. But were I not traveling on a sort of whim, we would have known that, Pecos, that uh, Van Horn was booked solid. Anyway, as I say, I don't necessarily travel on a whim, But one of our earlier trips, when we got back, I had clocked 10,000 miles going to the East Coast and back. And somebody asked me, how did you manage to travel so many miles? And I said, well, we went to North Carolina by going to Montana. And I was sort of asked, did you know that North Carolina is due east of Lake Arrowhead? And in no ways do you go to... Well, there was a reason, of course, for going to Montana, but I I bring this up, I bring this anecdote up in the way of bringing up another anecdote. Uh, Shortly after Charles Lindbergh's historic solo flight across the Atlantic, one of the mechanics who helped to prepare the spirit of St. Louis here in California at the Ryan Aircraft Factory modified an aircraft for himself because he wanted to Duplicate the trip solo across country. His name was Douglas Corrigan, uh, and he did all the work himself on this airplane. But even before leaving San Diego for New York for the attempt, his aircraft was deemed um, not airworthy for flight across open water of that length. Not simply because with the the same way that Lindbergh had, his fuel tanks were mounted where the windshield should be for gravity feed back then. Um, And it was leaking into the um, cabin. He was losing a considerable amount of gas in the cabin as he was flying. So he was told by the authorities that he could not fly to Ireland as he wished. But he was approved for a transcontinental flight, both for and back. That's two flights for those of you who I think it's only one flight across the country. It's two. Anyway, he landed in New York and prepared his aircraft. And one foggy morning, he took off. Very foggy morning. He took off from New York for the trip back to San Diego. Uh, 28 and a half hours later, he landed in Ireland. And he's forever been known afterwards as Wrong Way Corrigan. I, this is, but it wasn't a whim. It wasn't a mistake. He knew where he was going. So, with the two verses we're looking at today, the first thing that I saw was, I do have a sense of direction, okay? I sort of know where things lay. Last week, just to, to bring us up to speed, we were talking about the seven sons of Skiva. The uh, itinerant exorcist. So I'll I'll catch you up before we go into today's finishing verses of this little section. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. They were exorcising people in the name of Paul. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And then there's just a little tag here, uh, verses 20 and 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, these are a couple of verses that it looks like it's just a throwaway But verse 21a's translation is what got my attention. It says, now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. Now, any time that we've seen he's going to pass through an area before, you're passing through on your way somewhere. But This construction leads one to think that on his way back to Jerusalem, Paul would pass through Achaia in Macedonia. But as I'm thinking about it, looking at it, I'm saying, no, he's in Turkey. He's now going to go through Greece. Greece is the exact opposite way of Jerusalem. It is nowhere near on the way to Jerusalem. Another problem with the language of this phrase verse is Paul resolved in the spirit. And nobody can say for certain, and we'll be looking at that just briefly, if it's talking about the Holy Spirit or just Paul decided to go because the construction is the same. The Aramaic Bible in plain English, now that sounds like an oxymoron to me that it's the... Aramaic Bible in plain English. But they say it this way. But when these things were done, Paulus set in his mind to journey in all Macedonia and in Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. And he said, when I have gone there, I must also see Rome. That's a little bit clearer. He set in his mind to journey in all Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. The King James Bible puts it this way. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit with a small s, okay, so they're going the same way that the Aramaic Bible did. So Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem and saying, I have been there. I must also, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Uh, I must also see Rome. So Small s again here, and oddly enough, the New King James Version uses a large s on this. Now, this is not an important point, except to point out to you once again that sometimes these words, nobody actually knows what they mean. Because there is no doubt, however you want to take this, that the Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit who was directing his life in every way. So whether he had decided in his own mind, as the Aramaic Bible says, to go through Greece and into Jerusalem, or if the Spirit was directing him, all in all it would come out the same because if Paul had purposed in his own mind, as one of the verses say, he would have gone to the uh, God in prayer and the Holy Spirit would have directed him. And once again, Debbie, for this verse, the New Living Translation has one of the clearer translations, just once again, which says, afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. Still, we do not know which spirit it was, but it really does not matter. Now, the upshot of this is that going to the churches of Macedonia and Achaia was not because they were on the way to Jerusalem, but instead planned for a dual purpose, and it was planned very carefully. And that dual purpose... Luke does not provide for us in Acts at all. And for that, we have to go to uh, the Apostle Paul, who writes in both first and second letters to the uh, church in Corinth, of, which, of course, we know is first and second Corinthians, which he wrote during this exact time in Ephesus. And in these letters, he spoke of his reason for this trip through Greece, for 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 says, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany will accompany me. Well, he had to, decided that he would go to Jerusalem. And it's a touchy thing whether he would or not. Because he was not on particularly good terms with first the Jews of Jerusalem. Or with the church elders in Jerusalem. However, the original church, the church in Jerusalem, had suffered greatly. There were a series of droughts in the uh, late 40s AD, one particularly in Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire, and a drought there hurt Judea especially. They say it also probably would have affected Achaia and Macedonia, but these were trading societies with with much commerce in them, as opposed to Jerusalem. This uh, pattern of drought uh, carried on into the early 50s and was causing hardships, especially among the poor, always the hardest hit in poor financial times. The churches of Achaia and Macedonia were not affected by this drought, and also, as some of the richest areas in Greece they were able to afford to help out the church in Jerusalem. So Paul sought donations from those churches, imploring imploring them in 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 9. He says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has already been ready since last year sounds to me like uh, Paul was playing up Achaic against Macedonians, saying, look how good the Achaean[s] are. And, uh, Macedonians, we need more money here. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead, uh, go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work as it is written. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So Paul's intention in going to uh, Achaia and Macedonia was to personally pick up and then deliver the large collection of money to the Jerusalem church. Now, nowhere in here does it say large collection, but I am reliably informed that this was a very large sum of money to be transporting from Greece to Jerusalem at that time. There were no banks, there were no wire transfers, of course we know that. So you were carrying money on you. You'll remember that Ephesus was, uh, the road to Ephesus was uh, through mountains with robbers. Well, the same could be said almost every step of the way. The second uh, purpose of this visit was to once again strengthen the churches he'd planted in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, And in Corinth, this journey through Greece would be the last leg of his third missionary endeavor. Paul's work in Eastern Europe was complete. This is the end of his ministering in Eastern Europe. He has ministered everywhere. He's planted churches from Turkey to Greece. This was the last that he would be spending there. Others would guide the churches he planted as he looked for fresh fields to till. As Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, he had accomplished his mission. Romans 15, 15 through 24 says, and he wrote this, he wrote Romans sort of as an introduction to who he was. He did not know the Romans. He knew Aquila and Priscilla, who may have been back there by then. We do not know this. But he did not know the Romans. He had never visited there. The closest he got was Greece. And this is sort of an induct, uh, introduction to who he is among other teaching points of this letter. But he says, Romans 15, 15 through 24, he says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by a way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, And those who have never heard will understand. Having been planting churches ever westward for the last 15 years or so, he was looking forward to journeying not only further west, but visiting the center of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome itself. Romans 15 continues with Paul's planning of his next journey, where he says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, which just simply means because I have finished uh, going through Asia Minor and Greece, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however... I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Spain was, of course, as it is now, on the very western edge of Europe. Hasn't moved. And the far end of the empire. Um, Some of the greatest intellects, I have introduced you to Seneca the Younger and Seneca the Elder before, were from Spain. Great intellects, great philosophers, But it was completely untouched by Christianity. Paul saw this as a fertile field for his work. Acts 19.22 says, starting verse 22. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And verse 22 says, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erasmus, and we just saw him refer to this in uh, in 1 uh, Corinthians. Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, it was common to send out two travelers together for safety reasons. You'll remember that when... Jesus sent out his disciples on teaching ministry through the countryside. He would send them in pairs of two. Two was safer than one. You'll remember the story. Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan where a solo traveler was beaten on the road and a Samaritan was the one who stopped to help him. A solo traveler was at the mercy of robbers and thieves and it was much safer to send two. Paul sends Timothy and Erastus out as an advance team to Macedonia which as I tell you things have not changed in 2,000 years in politics today before a candidate goes to an area he will send out an advance team to set everything up to prepare the way for the candidate or the main teacher this time being Paul to go to an area so his His helpers have already gone, his advance team has already gone to set them up. Timothy, of course, we know. Erastus, we really don't, and we won't find out much more about him. He will be named, the Erasmus named in 2 Timothy is going to be the same Erastus, but there's another Erastus mentioned in uh, in Acts that is not the same person at all. We really don't know what happened to him afterwards. Little is said about him. Verse 22b says that Paul himself stayed in Asia, which means Ephesus, for a while. Luke, again, does not elaborate on Paul's remaining in Ephesus. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 5-9, sends this word. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. So here he's planning this trip again, passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, nothing further is known about what this wide door for effective work in Ephesus was. But while Paul was detained uh, in Asia Minor, he urged the Corinthians in regard to his advance team Picking up at verse 10, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Note that uh, Paul's meticulous planning of his next missionary travels, though directed by the Holy Spirit, He did not travel by the whim of the moment. Even planning travel through cities he was thoroughly familiar with, cities to which he spent significant time planting churches, he sent his advance team of Erasmus and Timothy and then took the additional step of writing to advise how Timothy was to be received by that church. As far as Paul could arrange it, his travel plans were set. Now, he does say here that whichever way I go, I think he was still, when he's sending out these, his letters to the Corinthians, he still doesn't know if he's going to take the uh, collection personally to Jerusalem or travel on to Rome and then to Spain. He knew his return to Jerusalem would be dangerous. The Jews of the city saw him as a betrayer of Judaism. Uh, when he came back after, after persecuting Christians and uh, going to Damascus, he comes back as the biggest advocate uh, Christianity has. The Jewish Christians, particularly the ones he called the Circumcision Party, who may have entailed some of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, uh, objected to his Judaism unencumbered outreach to the Gentile nations by that I mean he went to the Gentile nations he said, no you don't have to become Jews first and remember that when he got back, there was a big to do in the church in Syrian Antioch where where people came and said no you you've got to become um, Jews first and and Paul and a group from the church went down to Jerusalem. And though it doesn't look in Scripture as it was a big uproar, it was a big uproar. And it was actually dangerous for Paul to go back. The collection he was going to deliver to the needy was a large collection, as I said, dangerous to be carrying. And it was symbolically important because it was from these new Gentile churches of Greece to the original church in Jerusalem. And the point was to show a unity in Christianity at this point, at this very important point, with the outreach to the Gentiles and with the Jews. I'm told that there were not many churches in Israel. There were more churches in pagan lands than there were in Israel. And by bringing this offering from the Gentile churches, it was to smooth over, uh, to show the Hebrew church that the Gentiles considered themselves connected to the Hebrew church. So this was an important undertaking. He was also afraid, Paul was, and I think that this was probably the main reason that he took the uh, uh, collection, was that he was afraid they would reject it. That And that would cause more of a schism in the church than if they hadn't sent the collection in the first place. If the Jerusalem church said, we don't need your money. These aren't Christians. We're not taking this. It might have fractured the church completely forever. As I said, he only hoped they would accept this gesture on behalf of the Greek and Asian churches and that Christian unity would be strengthened. You know, all of us have a plan for how we wish things to go, whether as small a thing as a cross country trip or as large a thing as our life. I mean, we all make our plans, do we not? I don't think any of us live our lives flippantly. I did not head for Montana on my way to North Carolina on a whim, of course. We went to close up Neil's house when he was going to take a nice warm vacation in the mid east. So, as as we put it at the time, uh, Wrongway Corrigan did not accidentally fly east in fog to Ireland, or on a whim, but had invited friends before he left of his intended de- uh, destination. And yet, to the end of his life, he maintained he just got lost. To the end of his life, he continued the ruse. So it was with Paul. Going to Greece was not a whim. He went to strengthen the churches and received the collection for the Hebrew church, then to Jerusalem. Then he was planning on to Spain, which he dearly wanted to see. In our lives as Christians, as it was with Paul, we make our plans and God directs our steps. Sometimes we end up where we wish to go. Sometimes. As with Paul, the road ends in Rome. People, because the story ends before Paul loses his life in Rome, some scholars wish to think that he made it to Spain before he was martyred. That's a nice story. Wouldn't it be nice if Paul got to see Spain like he wanted to? I doubt that happened. I think that he is... His journey ended in Rome, that, uh, that he was martyred, and that he, and I know that then he joined Jesus in heaven. He wished to go further, and it stopped in Rome. Let's just hope that as we journey through this life, we lean on God to guard, guide our steps and be satisfied. When our journey ends. Let's close in prayer.